Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a man and his wife, a woman and her husband, get each other the worst books they can find and then tell the other about them. For this episode of Bibliovile, Mick read Katie McAllister's Sex, Lies, and Vampires. And I read Midnight Sins, this time by Cynthia Eden. Welcome to Bibliovile! That was a really loud start to the podcast, but I'm carrying a lot of energy, because that's what a radio personality does. I'm a radio personality, and my name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm your other co-host, the more subdued and less caffeinated Susan Dickinson. With a way better radio voice, the universe is not fair. We're coming to you, not live by the time you listen to this, on a terrible weather morning, freezing rain, uh, all along the state and the whole country, basically. Uh, so we both lucked out and had a snow day, except for me, because I had the day off anyways. So <laughs> Susan sitting here in our hallway foyer, uh, crashing my day off that I had all planned out, uh, sitting on my butt and not doing anything. And now I'm doing this really fun hobby with the person that I'm in love with. Aww. Aww. So the day's going Surprise okay. snow day for me. Yeah, well, planned snow day for me, I suppose. And now I can't go out. Oh, uh, something you should know, Susan, you, you've been introduced to the Dickinsons for a while now. Five years, Good I believe. Good six years now, yeah. yep. A great six years. Uh, something I don't know if you've had to ru- run into, you might have picked it up. The roads outside are terrible. We should not drive on them probably at all, despite me wanting to take their segment back. But there's something else that permeates the entire Dickinson existence. Do you know what that is? Bad farts. No. <laughs> Simpsons references. Yes, we're getting off traffic. Yes, all of those things. But the Dickinson existence, when the roads outside are bad, something we want more than anything else. A pop. A fountain pop. <laughs> a fountain pop. <laughs> Every single Dickinson looks outside, oh, it's a snow day. Really want to go to QT. And plus, the best part is, there aren't really any QTs anymore. There's a couple in Ankeny, I think, in Des Moines. But we always go. We always want to go to QT to get a pop. So, <laughs> thank you. It's a it's a wonder that any of us are as skinny as we are. It really is. It's one of life's and we, great mysteries. We all have great teeth too, which is really weird. Even bigger mystery. Yeah, just like that pickup artist. Anyway, so it's a snow day. I'm craving. I'm jonesing for a Mountain Dew. Uh, but instead, what I'm going to get uh, is some terrible books explained. Uh, some exciting turns this time. Uh, when it comes to, oh god, sex, lies, and vampires, uh, we, for like the fourth week in a row, have don't have our regular go to the library and find bad books uh, exchange like we usually do. Uh, we, we have a different form of exchange this week. Yeah, typically we go to the library, um, we separate, we each pick out the worst book that we can find, and then... We find each other in the library again, and then we swap books, and each has to read the book that the other has picked out. Um, This week, a little bit different, the book that I gave to Mick is actually a listener recommendation. So, Don Olson, thank you for the recommendation of Sex, Lies, and Vampires by Katie McAllister. Um, Don was my neighbor growing up in my hometown, and apparently was given this book to read on a dare, and said it was about the worst book that she's ever read in her whole life. So I was pretty excited, especially because the title is Sex, Lies, and Vampires. Well, I'll give you a hint. Don's not wrong. 
Uh, it's not the worst book I've ever read in my life because I read Midnight Sins 1 as opposed yeah, to Midnight, Midnight Sins, Sins Part 2. two. Yeah. Um, but it is awful and bad and no good at all. I just, just a quick interjection. I knew this book was going to be bad because when Dawn had recommended it to me, I looked it up in the, <laughs> the Iowa City's like online library catalog. They used to have this book in stock and it was removed from the library. Oh geez. That's bad. When you think about the type of books that stay in the library, yeah. this is too bad for a public library. Do you think it may, like, having read it, does it make sense that it was taken out of the library? I don't know. Given what I've been subjected to throughout this podcast from other parts of the library, I think this fits right in with the public library's mission of having some of the worst books in human history, as well as some of the best. I love you, public libraries. Sponsor us. Um, but getting into the book itself, if we read the back of it, my favorite is when you read the back and you are just like, oh, yup, about how bad this book is going to be. And sometimes it's hidden, sometimes it's not. Uh, but this one, I think, was right there. Don't judge a book by its back cover. Uh, I'm judging it. This is word for word. Are you responsible for lifting a centuries-old curse from the sexiest vampire you've ever seen? Starting off strong in the second person. Does a demon lord want to destroy you? Have you somehow inadvertently bound several mummies to your soul? <laughs> Are you the last hope for a lost little boy? If you've answered yes to any of the above, you're in big trouble. And then it goes in to tell the thing about it. But it's, it's why is this an infomercial start? Also, also like, yeah, you're in big trouble because you're in a bad book. <laughs> you are the character in a garbage book. Also, none of these things actually like super kind of apply to this book. They're just, like those four things are the subest of subplots. Really? Yeah. Like the first one's the only one that actually has like a major effect. The rest of them are just super dumb. So let's get into it. Um, just terrible uh, I don't know why vampire mythology is the only one that gets like a pass for uh, having getting to in reinvent the character the t mythology every single time. Like if you reinvent werewolves, people will be like, "Well, dog, that's not werewolves." There's yeah, either but like every you're right. Every single book, vampires are a little bit different. Yeah, it's like either you got your shifters. Or, I know all about shifters. Or your lycanthropes. Like, those are the only two types of werewolf. Like, full moon, inadvertent murder sprees. Or I can shift at will and still, like, have my human brain and stuff like that. Like, that's pretty set. But then there's vampires who can go out in the sun, vampires who can't, vampires who are bats, vampires who are sexy, vampires who are, like, ugly monsters, whatever. Like, old, old, old school Dracula. Like, I've been alive for a billion years. Yeah. Kind of vampires. Yeah. yeah. And then... The sparkly ones. Yeah, uh, and Kate McAllister forges a new path and makes her vampires terrible. So, that's fun. Is that new? I thought no. all vampires kind of sucked. It's it's pretty suck. It's... <laughs> vampires do suck. Woo! High five. Um, the plot of this book... I'm assuming it's dumb. It's, Is it pretty dumb? It's pretty dumb. We've got Nell Harris, who I had to look for her name on the back page. Uh, Nell who is uh, a charmer with a capital C. Oh, good. Uh, she can draw and undraw charms, which are also referred to as wards and sometimes referred to as curses. I don't know if they're any different from each other or if they just kind of like are synonyms or whatnot. Uh, rules, you might notice, never applied. or uh, It's going to be a theme in here that the rules to this universe are not 
ever sensical. They don't ever make sense. And so usually, while well, she protests about not being a charmer, she the book opens with her entering this woman's house and uh, she's like, hey, you've got to help me rescue my nephew and everything. And she goes, okay, well, I'm uh, no. And then she's like, but this medieval thing of armor. And so she gets convinced to do it and it gets dropped into this mysterious world of, oh, uh, they're not vampires. They're dark ones. With a capital D, with a capital O. I was going to say that better be capitalized. They're dark ones or Midrovians, except for the women vampires aren't dark ones. They're something else. And they're, they're, they're vampires. Uh, they suck blood for sustenance and health and they are super fast and like powerful and whatever. And their eyes change colors. Okay. Are they, do their eyes change from like turquoise to aqua to gray to purple because um, in lots of every violence. bad paranormal book ever everyone's eyes are gray Super weird purple turquoise and aqua yeah they they there's a lot of uh uh purple and then mostly like robin's egg blue but it's kind of it's hinted at that there's some sort of mood ring effect but there's never any correlation between like oh his eyes are this color and he must be feeling this way Mm. nothing like that so anyway uh she's tasked with going into a castle and retrieving i don't even remember uh by this woman she can't go in because there's wards on the 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 woman who hires her can't go to the castle because there's wards on the door and so she can't go in okay uh so she sends nell in she goes into the library and, oh my gosh, there's tons of stuff. And she finds this ring and pockets it, because as you do when you find a ring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then... A... Does it turn her invisible? Does she have no. to destroy it and go to Mordor? No. Dang. That would be a good book. Uh, <laughs> so she is confronted by a sexy, sexy, drew, blah, blah, emo, banged, dark one. And okay. what are you doing here? And... Oh, it's the one she's been warned about. He's the betrayer. And yes, betrayer is capitalized. Of course it is. Uh, and, but immediately she feels bone boning to him. She wants to bone him. Uh, lust. I believe there's yeah. a word for that. Oh, yeah. It's lust. Yeah, yeah but no. Uh, and then she falls in love with him because the plot says she's gonna. And it turns out that she's his beloved and uh, he's a bad boy, and he's hurt, but she's going to fix him. That Ugh. whole thing. Yeah. Is there any actual chemistry between the characters at all? Like, do you as the reader feel like they actually like each other or are interested in each other? No. Yeah, that's... I think that's going to be a theme for us this week. Um, the It's just terrible. The plot... In, I'll go over the plot, and then I'll go over the writing. Uh, so it's Adrian is the betrayer and she calls him Ryan or Honey Bunny or Snookums or whatever. Because Gross. She's, yeah. And it, it's this whole like running joke, lol, about the vampire being, I will say that his character was at least consistent and he's like, is full of himself and overly emo. It's very annoying and awful, but consistent. And so every time she tries <clears> to like humanize him or make him like, oh, Snuggle Bunny, I love you so much. He's like, I'm the betrayer. You must fear me. If I... That sounds cartoonish in its awfulness. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, If I were feeling more... If I had more gumption towards this book, this book did not give me a lot of gumption. If I had more gumption, I probably would have explored the, like, weird kind of subtext, subtonal, like, not a great relationship type stuff about, like, he's very controlling and... But she likes it, so it's okay. Anyway, 
so he kind of sort of kidnaps her, but like never using any force. She just kind of like just follows him around. Uh, kidnaps her, and then they go on... Are like, they still in the castle? Well, not anymore, because he kidnaps oh. her out of the castle. Oh. Like, three-quarters of the book... Well, two-thirds of the book is them just kind of going from city to city doing things. And, what's, like... Like, what's their purpose? Like, well, he has kidnapped her for what reason? He wants... So, I don't know, because the goalposts change so quickly and so often that it's impossible to actually, like, find mm-hmm. out what the original end goal was versus anything. So her goal was to... So Nell's goal was to rescue this nephew, Damien. And Adrian's goal was to become uncursed by her because she's a charmer, even though she killed her friend, like, years ago and refuses to admit that she's a charmer because reasons in conflict. But it eventually turns into, after putzing around Europe for a while, like, (laughs) taking trains to places and trying to get things done and running away from people that we, like, where they're going, we don't know. The nephew's in London, but they're not headed that way in any sense of the word. He doesn't have enough money for airline tickets, and he kidnapped her without her purse, and it's a whole thing. And so finally they make it to, after putzing around and doing nothing, they visit a very fun uh, brothel. And even that is like, we, but they continue on. And I'll talk about the brothel more because it, it leads to one of my biggest points. Uh, they finally make it to London and it turns out that it's his brother who's the evil one. The betrayer's brother is the evil one and not the one that's have we named. Have we been introduced to, he, the, to he, the betrayer's brother uh, at all? Or is are, it another like 11th hour villain introduction? No, we are introduced to him because uh, she literally like runs into him, passes over the ring that she stole from the library, which is this very powerful ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is like, here, take this. You're in different clothes, but whatever. And so the guy is like, okay, and goes away. And then the boyfriend, the betrayer shows up and he's like, Hey, where's the ring? And, I gave it to you. What are you talking about? And you're like, Oh, he's a twin brother. Get over it. I don't understand what's going on. And you're like, it's a twin brother. We, it's stupid. And you're in a bad plot, but come on, figure it out. Uh, so he turns into the villain for reasons. Like, I know that none of this summary has made sense, but it's because this book doesn't make sense. It just, (laughs) it's like being in a dream where A and B make sense and B and C can kind of make sense, but A to C makes absolutely no sense where she doesn't take the curse off of him for any reason, but they... she's his beloved and there's something about soul or every vampire has a beloved beloved is capitalized and it's the only way to get the vampire soul back because apparently vampires are born without souls or they lose them in some way and it just like doesn't make any sense at (laughs) at all and i will get to that i know i keep saying that but there's a larger point to being made so blah 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 they get to london uh to stop this brother from defeating a demon lord and he's to get more power even though they both want the demon lord defeated he's going to sacrifice what turns out to be his nephew it's actually adrian's son uh yeah uh adrian had a son with his brother's now beloved uh earlier this Um, is so convoluted and the book is not that long well it felt like a really long book sue it felt so long because it just puts it like Anyway, Uh, so they get there, and it turns out that the brother Sayer, S-A-E-R, has uh, 
going to take over the power of the demon lord by using this powerful ring that's the demon lord's ring but the if you use it on the demon lord if you're a servant of the demon lord you can't use it also didn't she just sort of like happen to find this ring yeah it was this, in like super library. Yeah. powerful ring that has the ability to destroy someone and yeah, it was just like there's lying a, around there's a token thing about like we put it in the library so no one could find it it's like that's not where you put rings you don't want people to find anyway so he is going to use the ring to destroy the demon lord and sacrifice his nephew so he can get more power and so Adrian and Nell don't want him to do that. They want to save Adrian's son, but Adrian can't use the ring because he's a servant of the Demon Lord. So Nell has to use it, and thankfully he give like Sayer just gives the ring away again. So they get it back, and so then they go and Sayer raises this army of neo Nazis to come kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, that was probably the most out of the book. What? One. Yeah. He just is like, oh, he's raising an army. And you think like, oh, of other vampires or dark Some ones. Some sort of otherworldly creature. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like skinheads, like Aryans. I mean, I wish that those were supernatural villains and not real. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> but it's very confusing. Uh, so then they like launch this attack on the house where they're hiding out, where Nell and people are hiding out. Uh, when they're about to do it, Nell just kind of like leaves to go find another lady. Uh, and so... Th- us as readers actually miss everything that happens in the house and we get back and the Nazis are already like taken over the house and she turns them into slugs because she has that power. Um, okay. And then it's like a race against time to go get to the British museum where the statue that is the demon Lord's like house is, is, uh, while there she accidentally brings three mummies back to life. That was the part on the back of the book. That was the stupidest subplot ever. Cause nothing happens from it. It's just dumb. Uh, then uh you could tell how much i loved reading this book uh they get to the british museum and adrian is being held hostage he is being pinned to the wall by multiple swords by sayer because he won't die unless he bleeds to death and they're all in these places that aren't going to cause him to bleed to death and then nell shows up and is like hey what's up and she goes to kill him and if fails at it the ring isn't as powerful as they thought but then Adrian just unrips himself from the wall, from the swords, because he sees Nell being, like, hit and slapped. And then the guy is like, are you really going to come challenge me? And and in the middle of the sentence, Adrian just freaking cuts his head off. <laughs> With a sword, just cuts it right off in the middle of the sentence. And, like, Adrian's like, yeah, okay, that's done. And to the credit of the book, Nell is like, "It that's it? Yeah. <laughs> like, he we went through all like, of this. Why yeah. didn't we just cut his head off with a yeah. sword earlier? So it's not good when your book, even your book is like, this seems overly like simplistic. <laughs> yeah. This seems way too quick for such a heavy intro. Anyway. So then that guy's dead. Good. I guess they raised the nephew. He was in like suspended animation. And it turns out that she smells bad to all vampires except for her beloved vampire. And so he keeps telling his new, apparently stepmom that she smells and stinks and she do- he doesn't like him. So great, now we've got this really annoying kid character in the middle of our book. Uh, and there's still like 40 pages left, by the it's way. It's not over No, at this because point? now they're going to defeat the demon lord and so they're like preparing for it and oh, we're so in love and it's going to be our love. Is the guy that whose head they cut off, he's not the demon lord? No, he's just like a normal dark one. Oh. Yeah. And so he they're like we're going to break the curse on you, Adrian, so you won't be the betrayer anymore. But he, like, 
he wasn't the evil one in the first place, so I don't know what's going on. Uh, it's going to be our love that breaks the curse, and so we're so in love. Let's let's say lovey-dovey things to each other. Okay, now undo this curse. Oops, you had a stroke, and you failed. Uh, what? Yeah, it, like, flashes white. Uh, cut to them in bed making out and him uncursed. So we don't even see the final action? No. That's annoying. It's super annoying. It's like the book didn't have the budget to film the special effects required or something. It. So then that's the end of the book, and it ends with them planning to send the kid away to boarding school so they can boink more. And because he thinks she smells. Yeah, that too. It, that, you've been describing the plot of this book for 20 minutes. Yeah. I don't think I could tell you anything about the plot of this book. You may have noticed that I've been, like, I'm not over-caffeinated or drunk or tired or sleepy or anything like that my pure marble mouthedness terrible talking guy skills have been directly connected to the incomprehensibility (laughs) of this plot the writing was not incomprehensible the writing is fine it's like oh she's so witty and all she says is oh that's dandy or whatever yeah when something bad oh that that must mean she's witty and like no that's just whatever so that's the level of writing but the plot itself who's the bad guy why they're the bad guy what the rules are of anything is so incomprehensible that it makes my recollection of it and my retelling of it terrible and awful and i apologize that you had to listen to that but in fairness i had to read like 350 pages of it there were it was actually pretty close to the beginning of the book. Mick had just started. I think it was the first night that you were reading. And all of a sudden, he just, like, frisbee tosses the book across oh, yeah. the room and starts flailing about as though he has morphed into a gigantic rage octopus. And what 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 caused that uh, This reaction? is page two. This is one of our very few introductions to a character, or one of our very early introductions to the main character now. Imps, I said, utterly at sea. Here we go. Try and count the parent. There's parentheticals on parentheticals in this paragraph. With my good arm, I clutched my bag, beat up with one torn handle, okay, to my chest, stuffed into a bra, stretched to its limits to restrain overly abundant occupants. That's how we learn that she's got big old boobies, I guess. And wished for the tenth time that I had not succumbed to my curiosity, going to get me into trouble one of these days. At least three. Three parentheticals in one paragraph. And it was the, the... stretched to its limits to restrain overly abundant occupants. Why are we talking about that when nothing about this scene relates to your boobs? Like, I thought that women were usually better at writing when boobs matter, but it definitely doesn't matter there, but we still get to hear about them. So that was that was my initial rage octopus. There were many rage octopuses to come later. The main thing I want to talk about is the rules of this book. Like, so if you make up a new kind of vampire mythology, you're expected to, like, have it kind of all set, right? Yeah, if you're going to rewrite the rules of a mythological creature, you need to be pretty set on what those rules are and follow them and make them clear in your book. I'm assuming that was not done. That was very much not done. So there's rules about like wards and charmer and she draws them or undraws them like a maze but sometimes she says them out loud like a harry potter spell which is a completely different thing yeah 
Uh, sometimes she just has them instinctually, like, in her brain. Sometimes she learns them from a book. Sometimes they hurt her to draw. Sometimes they don't. In terms of the vampires, sometimes your beloved, like, is automatically attached to you by fate. Sometimes you find them and grow to like them. Sometimes your soul is in your body unless you're cursed. Sometimes no vampires have any souls unless they find a beloved and join with them. And there's all these steps for joining that just keep going and we don't really know. Sometimes she's going to be immortal. Sometimes she's not. Sometimes her death would mean his death. Sometimes his death means her death. Uh, there's just... Oh, and the whole demon lord thing, using the ring. Who can use it, when they can use it, why they can use it, how they can use it, what it does. None of that makes any sense at all. And it's not like your World of Warcraft book from a couple of weeks ago where yeah. it's like they use their power. It's that we get an explanation of it that's different every time. That just changes. Oh. It's like trying to play a card game with a little kid who doesn't actually know the rules and just wants to win. Like, oh, this, well, on this turn, how about we do this? And on that turn, how, like, no, just simplify. Like, get a set of rules and apply them equally across everything. Not to mention the the world building that's terrible and awful, where they're just, like, dropped in references to things that don't connect at all. Like, there's poltergeists that like to have sex with sylphs, and, but it's the poltergeist that she wants to keep happy so they can do something else. There's unicorn horn. There's references to, like, imps and stuff like that, but it's dropped in, like, a gameplay mechanic in a Call of Duty game and never used outside of that one mission. Like, it was infuriating to hear about all of these stuff, all of these things, and never get them. The mummies come to life, and they follow the sound of her voice, but also their commands, and they're like puppies, but she respects them as people, and she makes them sit on newspaper because they're, (laughs) like, breaking apart, and she doesn't want to cause a mess. And she keeps promising that she'll undo whatever she did to bring them back to life, but it never happens. And so they're just kind of there throughout the book. I feel like this author is like someone who's learning how to cook for the first time and they've just discovered the spice cabinet. And so they've decided, (laughs) I need to put a little bit of every single spice in the spice cabinet in this soup. And so like... In one bite, you taste some oregano, but then you never taste any more oregano because in the next bite, there's cilantro for some reason, even though this doesn't make any sense. Cilantro doesn't go in soups. I know. Anyway, uh, that's a really good way to put it. Cilantro (laughs) doesn't go in soups and unicorns don't go in vampire books. Unless they're going to be like a thing. Like, this is Chekhov's gun cabinet. Like, there's all (laughs) these sort of things and you only need one gun, anyway, to kill all those neo-Nazis. Uh, there's one thing that, uh, really comes through and that's the hot topic, topicedness of the Adrian, the betrayer, which I will talk about more Uh, on the blog. The betrayer with a capital B. Yes. The betrayer with a capital B. Uh, there's some real terrible, like, oh, she's a witty woman, uh, type things Mm -hmm. on top of the times when they name their characters, the wrong things. That's always fun. Uh, but she says to him that they wish we had, oh, there's a lot of sex in this book. Uh, it's pretty good actually. Well, I would uh, assume that there would be because it's called Sex, Lies, and Vampires. Yeah. I would be I would be a little sad if there was no sex because then wow. there would be even more of an emphasis on the lies because even the title is lying to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, the sex in this book is okay. Like, okay to good. So that was a relief. It, it never got super gross, but it did get kind of weird. That Like, oh, we need synonyms. Give me synonyms. Uh, she wants to have sex with him, and but they don't have time. And she's like, "If it were up to me, you would be the oh, right, ugh. you would be the king of Hoochie Wawa." Ugh. 
ugh, why? And then the dude's like, yeah, you'd be my queen of seduction. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> That's the Gross. Yeah. Um, at one point, he touches her tender flesh that protected my secrets. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that might be one of the worst euphemisms <laughs> we've ever heard. Stay out of my tender secrets. <laughs> you must never know. Uh, eh. Why would you want tender flesh to protect your secrets? You'd want the toughest flesh to protect yeah. you. Yeah. Anyway. Also, it's not that secret. Like it's a vagina. But, yeah. Like well, maybe she got some gold up there or something. Maybe. That's who where knows, she hid the Who ring. knows what's up there? Yeah. It'd be a safer hiding. Would be a safer hiding place than the library. No kidding. Uh, that's about it that I got for this book. It's. It like. It's hard to, it's, it's impossible to summarize or get a bead on this book because this book does not have a bead on itself. So it's like trying to describe your dream that happened two nights ago that you're like, well, we were in Disneyland, but it was Iowa instead of Florida and you were there, except it wasn't you like trying to decipher one of those dreams, except I had to read it over the course of like three weeks. This one took me a while because it. Because things that don't make sense take longer to read, and things that don't matter or develop in any way take longer to read, and that's this book. So, this book, bad. Real, like, real bad. Not hard to read, but hard to get through, if yeah. that makes sense. Real bad book. Anyway, <laughs> let's toss it over to uh, someone who might have a more comprehensive view at a book instead of stammering so much. Uh, Susan uh, got the awesome reward of being my wife of getting to read one of our favorite books kind of again uh and that's midnight sins so this is not the same midnight sins that we've read now twice for this podcast this is a different book called midnight sins i love it so much i'm so excited about this can you can you share with our friends here (laughs) how you came to possess this book so (laughs) <laughs> that was the noise of me getting really excited about this uh, or possibly a doorstopper. Um, so on my way home from work, I passed through a small town and it has a dollar general there. And I think I needed some double sided tape or batteries or something like that. So I stopped at the dollar general to pick those up on my way home. Uh, did what had to have been at the very least a triple take because I was like, <laughs> bad books. Oh, wait a minute. I have a podcast. Nah, let's go to the library. Wait a minute. That one said Midnight Sins. I didn't even read the back of it. I picked it up. I looked at it. Midnight Sins right there with a hunky man on the cover. And I said, yes. Yup. There's a hunky man and a little sticker that says $3 on it. And I said, yup. Susan is reading whatever the hell this book is. Because there's no way I am passing up fate like this. So I came home and I like put my bags on the counter, was like putzing around, whatever. And I noticed that there's a book on the counter, which is fairly normal. We have a lot of books in our house. I was like, what is this book? I don't think I've seen this book before. And I also did about a triple take because I was like, oh, it must be a terrible book exchange book because there's a naked man on the cover. Oh, shit. It's called Midnight Sins. So I, like, pick up the book and I walk into the bedroom and I look at Nick. I'm like, what did you do? (laughs) It's amazing. How am I supposed to, like, it's two boats crossing in the night. 
Like, how am I supposed to pass up buying a book already called Midnight Sins with a romance $3 sticker from Dollar General? Gross. So gross. My biggest fear was that this was going to be identical in almost every way to Midnight Sins. Like just a plagiarized copy. Yeah, just it's just a plagiarized <laughs> copy. Um, they changed the names and Well, so did Midnight Sins, so that would that's, be that's also true. Um, so to clarify, the original Midnight Sins I will refer to from here on out as Midnight Sins One, and this is Midnight Sins Two, just to keep things straight. This one is by Cynthia Eden. And I was worried that it was going to be a straight, like, exactly the same as the, as Midnight Sins 1. Instead, it's the same as almost every single book I've read for Bibliobile. <laughs> like, do you remember, Mick, the book that I read, it was called Spider's Bite. Yes, and The she, Elemental Assassin. Yep, she was an assassin, he was a human and a cop. She was an assassin, he was so, a human. So, um, we, our, our no main, mi- no. No, none at all. Not, no love for anything after reading this book. <laughs> so the main male character in this book is a cop who is on this, like working on a murder case. And the main female character of this book is being framed for murder. So at the beginning, she is his primary suspect. Mm. And then naturally they fall in love and bone Um, there's also, there's just a lot, but as far as similarities to the original Midnight Sins to Midnight Sins 1, there's a relationship that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, a relationship that has some pretty weird, like, controlling power differentials. That seems to be a weird theme. Yep. And then also a lot of gross sex. Nice! (laughs) The biggest difference, and I think this is going to bring you an incredible amount of joy, is that Midnight Sins 2 ventures into the paranormal. Oh, really? Oh, really? Do we have our favorite? Our main character, our main female character, (laughs) is a succubus. Oh, wow. And several of our secondary characters are shifters. (laughs) No way! No way does this book have shifters and is... It absolutely does. Midnight Sins 2 goes paranormal. Oh my god. We have shifters. We have werewolves. (laughs) We have succubi and incubi and level 10 demons. (laughs) Is this... No, let me see the publishing info. Is this like Bibliovile Publishing Incorporated? No, it might. It might as well be. Also... I'm kind of... I'm scared now. Yeah. At first I thought this was like kismet. Like what luck that I found this. This I'm is almost little, getting a little creepy. I'm a little frightened by how tailored this book is to this podcast. It gets better. Oh, so God. remember the original Midnight Sins. What was the what was the like opening conflict? One of the big things that uh, happened at in the, the very beginning. Oh, at the high school dance or the mur- the the murdered dance? sister. Yeah, the, the murdered, murdered sister. sister. So in in Midnight Sins one, our main character's sister gets murdered. In Midnight Sins two, our main female character's sister is murdered. Wow. Is like, there a template out there somewhere where you? just plug in things i think there is or there's like some sort of algorithm it's like a mad lib you just pick out some random things you plug it into an algorithm and there's a bad book and then you call it midnight sins matt matt dickinson matt i believe you were matt one versus matt a uh you need to (laughs) i got excited again you need to code for us in a book building algorithm from all of these little pieces 
That would be so amazing. That and would I, be amazing. I do not think it could turn out worse than what we have so far. I don't think it, it could. It definitely work. could not turn out worse than Midnight Sins 1. No. Nothing could turn out worse. I could not intentionally write a worse book. There, I have to give Cynthia Eden some credit for Midnight Sins 2 because the writing is all, like, just miles and miles better. Not even, oh, in, the, not even in the same league as Midnight as Sins Laura 1. As Laura Lee. As Laura Lee. Um, but it's still just crazy. So our main male character, Detective Todd Brooks, is on the murder case and he has been having some problems with his partner because Todd is full human and up until recently he did not know <laughs> that there were other oh. in the world. Oh, until other? other, other, all capital, no, not all capital, but capitalized and in italics. And it's not others? No, just the other. <laughs> So he did not know of the presence of the other until a few months ago when he and his partner, um, like on the force, yeah, on, on the force, yeah, were working. I can't remember the partner's name. I'm gonna be totally honest with you. Pete Cliff. Ar- I think his first name oh, is Cliff. I was gonna say Pete Artner. <laughs> so he and his partner are on a case together, and then, like, he feels like he's getting pushed off of the case. Like his mm-hmm. partner's trying to do things without him, so he follows his partner sees his partner transform into a giant wolf. Ah. And now he knows that there are other in the world. So he has not talked to his partner about this. He has not confessed that he knows this to anyone, even though about a third of the police force is apparently other, including That's McNeil, good. their it's captain, conspiracy. who's a charmer. Oh, the capital got, you got, you got C. I had a charmer too. too. Yeah. Um, you just like, got so, everything. It's a grab bag. I really did. So, opening scene, Todd is at this murder scene, and they find a purse um, in a trash can outside containing identification, and the ID matches the description of the woman who, according to the hotel staff, entered the hotel room with the guy who was killed. So, they're like, well, apparently the killer got sloppy and threw away her purse. Turns out the killer is framing this person. So... The person whose purse was thrown in the dumpster, the person, as it were, um, her name is Kara Malone, which according to Todd Wait a minute. Yeah. We've had Malones before. (laughs) The, like, the web just keeps getting tighter and tighter. I'm I'm scared. It's like a Twilight Zone episode. I know, it's crazy. Even better. Todd Brooks thinks that Kara Malone is a very exotic name. Although he does live in Atlanta, so maybe that's an exotic name in Atlanta. Also, uh, several so. of our other supernatural books have been set in Atlanta. Like, the web just keeps closing. I'm really scared that eventually we're going to find a book in the Dollar General, and it's going to be, like, being written as we read it about us reading the book. I know. I think it's going to be about two people recording a podcast about terrible books, and, and then, then they, they get, get transported oh. into a terrible book, and one of them becomes a shifter... And the other becomes a charmer. And then everyone's last name is Malone. You know, that wouldn't be such a bad idea for a book. Let's get to writing. We can write it together and, and then, then have, have a, our, our author, author name. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. That's Look exactly what we should inside do. inside jokes. So <clears throat> things progress. There are additional murders. Kara is ultimately like weeded out. She is no longer a suspect, which is good because she and Todd Brooks pretty much instantly start boning. Which... That was my biggest beef with... The writing was pretty good. Like, they did a good job of building suspense. They wove together a lot of the plot lines. Oh, good. Um, very unlike your book, I think. 
But the one thing that I think that, that the author did not do well was writing the actual romance and the relationship between the two main characters. Because in the very beginning, Kara, she's a succubus. So she mm. gets her energy, her life force from, from sexual energy, from having sex with people. And she is very tired of the relationships that that gives her because she like has a string of one night stands and because men find her very sexy and are very drawn to her. But as soon as they find out what she is, no one wants to be in a relationship with her. So she is tired of not having love and just having sex. So she decides she's going to swear off sex and die. Well, (laughs) she is fortunately a singer in a nightclub that caters to other. And she has found that by singing in the nightclub, like, she, like, sends out her sex pheromones and men find her very sexy and she can get a little bit of their sexual energy from that, from the men in the audience. Oh, naturally. And so that is, like, <laughs> barely enough to sustain her. She can keep living. She's just not happy. And then, like, 20 pages later, she gives up on the whole no sex thing because she wants to bone <laughs> Todd Brooks. So, like... Wait. So they, the author put an obstacle in the... Uh, character's way as you do yeah you feel unfulfilled by your relationships yeah but gave her two separate outs immediately in that she doesn't actually have to have sex to live and she's just going to give up on the promise anyway yeah and she doesn't need to worry about it because she finds someone who wants to be in a relationship with then her why put the obstacle right that was that was the biggest thing writing wise that i found frustrating about this book was like i feel like you could have drawn that out or made something of it or not included it at all yeah like, why did that have to be such a prominent thing in the first 20 pages if you were just going to immediately have the two main characters sleep together? And it's not even like, oh, they're sleeping together, but is he going to, like, run away from her? Because we also see things, like, we have exposition from Todd's perspective, too, and we know that he's, like, super into her and actually wants to date her. Mm. And even when he finds out that she's a succubus, he's not turned off by it. Like, he wants to know Moria's yeah. questions, but he's not like, ew, no, get away from me. What kind of man would ever be invested in a woman who is dependent on sex? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the really special thing about their relationship is that she doesn't just take from Todd. She gives to him, too. Talking about sexual energy, not oral. I was gonna... um, <laughs> Well, of course, because you said takes first. But I just, like, the whole relationship is weird. Like, we hear constantly about how how attracted she is to him and he to her and how much he wants to be with her and he cares about her and she's mine and she's my woman. But like, we don't actually see anything that demonstrates that they actually feel any of those feelings. We just, they just basically yell it at us a lot, (laughs) but there's no like, my boner. (laughs) There's, there's not a whole lot of like conversation or like, there's not even really a whole lot that happens between the two of them other than sex. So it makes it really hard to be convinced that there's a relationship in there that's not built on sex. And he also gets a really possessive, like, she's mine. She's my woman. I don't want her singing at the nightclub anymore and getting sexual energy from other men. She's, like, and it just gets annoying. Like, it's, he's not written in the way that you're like, this is a creepy dude. He's just, like, he has behavior that is creepy and it's mostly annoying. Mm. Like, they're both pretty bland. There's not a whole lot that's super interesting about the two characters, which is surprising because, like, he's a, a police detective and she's a succubus. You would think there would be... It's you would think it would heaven. be interesting, yeah. but it's really not. The I think the, the biggest strength of the book is, like, all the weird cast of characters, like... The is this another secondary one? and tertiary characters. Is this another one of those books where they, they like, 
have made a promise to themselves, apparently, where they wouldn't repeat fantasy creature. Pretty, well, I, I felt like that in the beginning because they threw in a lot of stuff in the beginning, but they, they really stick to like five or six different types of fantasy creatures. There are shifters, charmers, vampires, succubi, oh, incubi, oh. and level 10 demons. No, well, assumably that means that there's levels one through nine. No. There are not. There there are level 5 demons and level 10 demons. Apparently, we're on, like, a nickels and dimes system. <laughs> we got rid of the petty because it costs more to make. Than exactly. But we also don't have quarters because that's just dreaming too big. Why? Why? Why do 5 and 10? Apparently, because level 10 sounds really impressive, and we needed to distinguish that Incubi and Succubi were not as powerful as level 10 demons. Why not, like, so we alpha made them level and five. beta or... Nope. <laughs> Nickels and dimes. Nickels and dimes. So, oh, like, God. we have we have those five or six fantasy creatures. And, like, that's, that's the bulk of it. But, like, Todd figuring out how many people in, like, his circle in Atlanta are actually other is actually pretty funny. I don't know if it was written to be as funny as it was. Like, I don't know if it was <laughs> supposed to be as funny as it was. But, like, the newscaster on Channel 10 is an incubus. And the like assistant district attorney is an incubus and like there's a lot of boning going on in this town yeah so they originally find they eventually find out that the killer is not a succubus like they originally thought it's an incubus who is using like a very sexy human woman as his bait so like she lures these unsuspecting men into hotel rooms and like, ties them up with the promise of, like, really good kinky sex. And then the incubus comes out and drains all of their energy by placing a hand on their heart and kills them. And so that's why it's such a mystery to the police is that, like, all these people have been murdered. They have this imprint on their chest, but there's otherwise nothing wrong with them. Is this, like, is this going to be a gay panic thing? No, it. and I was afraid it was going to go there, too, but it's not. Okay. Um, The, and there's, like... I'm going to rush through it and... Oh, no. No one really cares. But, like, the incubus who's doing the killing is a good friend of Kara's. And he is framing Kara for murder because he thinks that she killed the man who murdered her sister, who was the killer incubus's brother. I... I was trying to trace that connection in my head. Yeah. Like, like a, uh, draw it. And I literally came up with a pretzel shape. <laughs> yeah. And so then you're like, so... <laughs> what does that make us? It's absolutely, absolutely nothing. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> um, so, so just, just to recap that Kara's sister, her twin sister... Oh, twin sister. ...was murdered by a human... And sh- Yeah. ...when he found out that she was a succubus. That man later was murdered and that man's brother whose name is cameron who's an incubus he thinks that it was kara that murdered the guy who murdered kara's sister and so cameron is framing kara for murder because he thinks she murdered his brother who murdered her sister oh my god i've gone cross-eyed exactly but so why would the guy be so afraid of succubi and be so angry about it if his brother is an incubus um, I think he felt like he was lied to. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It. So who killed the the first guy? 
It was actually another friend of Kara's who was afraid that Kara was going to go after him and murder him and wind up getting hurt. And he's a level 10 demon, so he knew that he wouldn't get hurt. So he took care of the guy. guy. He's like a pretty decently written gray character. Like, he has done good things. Like, he did this in order to punish the guy that killed Kara's sister, who he was in love with, and then also protect Kara. But he's also, like, pretty shady. And in the end, he murders Cameron. The way that he murders Cameron is crazy because apparently level 10 demons can start a fire inside another person's heart. Naturally. And make them combust from the inside. You didn't know that about level 10 demons? I know. I only, I'm only i only really well-versed in level 5 demons. Do you, th- <laughs> do you think that's why so many bad books have to do with supernatural elements? Because you can just, like... You make up the rules. Yeah, you don't have to figure yeah. out a way of your plot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, we've cracked it. It is, and I, I think that's exactly true. Like, if there's if there's ever a plot hole that you can't close, or if there's ever, you know, like, a threads that you yeah. can't tie up, or a challenge that you can't figure out a way to get your characters to outsmart, you just create a level 10 demon who can start a fire in someone's internal organs. <gasps> no, but Clearly. I, no, but I had a force field. I'm a level 11 demon. That's not true. The next level up would be a level 25, and that's just unrealistic. <laughs> We only go in coins, so uh, you can't jump from a 10 to an 11. Duh. Maybe we're going in dollar bills, and you could do a 20. Oh. Oh. It was crazy. And, like, the writing <laughs> at the end did a pretty decent job of, like, building suspense. Like, things go pretty slowly through the middle of the book, and then in the final third, it ramps up, and there's a lot of, like, Actually, who is the villain going to be? There was one part where I was pretty concerned because they've narrowed it down. They know it's an incubus. There are only three incubi that live in the city. And Cameron is written in the beginning to seem like he's a good guy. He's like, he's friends with Kara. He's the bartender at the nightclub where she's staying. Of course. There's a bar. There's always a bar. And he's been working with Niall, the owner of the bar and the level 10 demon who eventually kills Cameron. For a while. And Nile so for a while. And so you think that like it can't be Cameron, he's a he's a good character. And then the other two incubi are the assistant district attorney and the newscaster. And so Todd brings all three of them in for questioning. They all three of them have alibis for the time of the murder. That the murders took place. Which made me really worried that we were going to get a Midnight Sins one Lowry Berry kind of thing. Where, like, the killer is someone we have previously been unintroduced to. And it's just going to be, like, all of a sudden... Pete Ardner. Perry Gary is the <laughs> is the murderer in on, like, page 245 of 250. But apparently... Um, because he's killed so many humans, Cameron has gotten additional powers, and so now he can plant false memories in humans. Naturally. And so he planted false memories in humans to say that he had an alibi when he really didn't. Another plot hole that is taken care of by our supernatural powers. Um, and so, like, when when the, like, big action scene confrontation is supposed to be happening. Like, they figure out that it is Cameron. They go to the bar to find him, and he's not there. And Kara... never worked there. Kara is, like, unprotected at her home, and she's, like, swimming laps in her pool in the dark backyard, and all of a sudden he appears there. And, like, it's it's pretty cheesy. Like, of course that's how it happened. But, like, it's it's actually written pretty well. I'm like, 
oh, like, I wasn't expecting this. I uh, am surprised, but also not, like, what? it's an orangutan that killed yeah. him or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, it. I was surprised, but it, it made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not by any means trying to say that this book was good. It was not. But it was pretty entertaining. Oh. I got to give it that. And... I came in with the lowest of expectations because when you share a title with the worst book ever written, you can't expect that book to be good. No, I'm I'm a little dis. I was I'm a little worried now because this, like, it's perfect. It is. It's got everything we need, and it was like a good story to tell. I know. Ugh. So, I am like I'm with you. I'm a little worried that I'm scared that. There's some sort of supernatural being that's creating perfect bibliobiology. Uh, at least for we us. know that if we run into a challenge, it'll have some power to get us out of it. I will know for absolute certainty that something fishy is going on if we ever find a Christmas sex book containing shifters. <laughs> that is how I will <laughs> know. Those are holy grail. That the universe will have imploded on it. And it turns out there are ghosts the whole time. And it turns out there are ghosts um, the whole time. Couple wrap up questions. Yeah. How do they catch, or so the demon kills the guy, right? The level 10 10 demon starts starts a fire fire in in the guy's heart, heart, yeah. Which, is that a metaphor? Is this like the Bible where they say that? I think it's supposed to be like a, because he killed all the people by placing a hand on their heart. So yeah, I think there's supposed to be a little bit of poetic justice. Um, The only person who saw it happen was Todd, and he covers for the level 10 demon by saying that, oh, we don't know how the fire started we came out into the alleyway and there was a big fire and Cameron died so that they don't have to throw Niall in jail. Yeah. So I can take care of the dog. Um, who is the sexy lady that helped the incubus? Um, we don't really learn a whole lot about her. She's a, she's apparently a pretty good ringer for Kara. She looks very similar to Kara, but she's a human. She does know of the presence of other clearly cause she's working with an incubus. Um, she is, that's kind of how they start to figure out that it was an incubus because they find her murdered body in the phone booth from where she had just called Todd's cell phone because she was getting spooked and wanted out. And so she was trying to call Todd to give him information about the case. And then she was found brutally murdered in a phone booth. Why did she help? Was she being paid a lot or did he give her the business? Um, the I think business? she was being paid and then she was also promised revenge on a man that she had been scorned by or something because apparently you know if a guy doesn't want to date you you need to have him murdered by an incubus yeah especially if you're a sexy lady yeah well dang it was it was fun like it was bad and it was ridiculous and it makes me a little afraid for our own personal safety and the integrity of our universe metaphysical yeah yeah but it was fun um it was definitely definitely better than the other midnight sins i don't think anything could ever be worse i would be worried about your mental health i know if i had to write if i had to read two midnight sins that were both Midnight Sins, Ian. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. So, uh, here, so, moving towards the future, if we refer to Midnight Sins as like, oh, we're talking about the worst books we've ever read and stuff, we can also also refer to Midnight Sins about like, oh, look at all this crazy crap that gets thrown in books. How are we going to differentiate the two? Midnight Sins 1 and Midnight Sins A. I think that might get confusing. The fighting Um, The same way, the same way that we differentiate between the mats. Yes. Um, no, I would say, um, I mentally referred to this one as Midnight Sins 2 Paranormal Edition. (laughs) (laughs) Any suggestions on your part? 
That's how we should, yeah. That'll work. Midnight Sins 2 Paranormal Edition. Midnight Sins 2, Midnight Sins Nights. Midnight Sins OG for the, <laughs> for the first one. Uh, Midnight Sins 2, Sins Harder. Midnight Sins 1, The Ballad of Lowry Berry. <laughs> Midnight Sins 1, colon, Origins. <laughs> Versus Midnight Sins 2, colon, Reckoning. Oh, there yeah. you go. There you nice. go. Anyway, that should do us for this episode of Bibliovile. Uh, you can find us, uh, our presence online. And frankly, my brain is still so addled by this friggin' book that I'm going to let Susan do the closing. <laughs> you bet. Um, if you would like to follow either of us on Twitter, Mick is at Dickama, that's D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A, and I am at Susan J, that's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. You can read the blog posts that accompany the podcast at opinionsandother.blogspot.com. Um, you can check those out and also read like back blog posts on previous podcast episodes. The theme music that we use for our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Um, if you like the podcast, you can we would appreciate if you um, subscribed on iTunes and SoundCloud, give us a review, give us a retweet, tell a friend. Um, if you have any bad book recommendations that you would like to give us, we definitely appreciated the listener recommendation from Don. In fact, next week we are we received a Christmas present. Oh, yes, we sure did. So for the next episode in two weeks, um, two of our good friends, Jake and Amy, gave us as a Christmas gift a box full of bad books. So we will be picking a selection from... That box of Christmas magic, and we'll be reading those. Um, but any other listener recommendations, you can tweet at us. Um, but yeah, otherwise, tell a friend and have a good night, Matt. Yeah, we will be back in two weeks uh, with our next episode. So thanks for listening. Have a good night, Matt. <laughs> I love you. Stop. Stop recording. End recording. Ah! Stop transmission. <laughs> <laughs>